we are taking a, a, a little detour from Acts, so we would be in Acts 18 and 19. Uh, truthfully, I got into a lot more in that than I could put together for today's sermon, and I thought, oh, what am I going to do? Um, then about Wednesday, things started turning, the whole sermon started turning, and we're totally out of Acts today. Um, still, Luke is still teaching us, who's the author of Acts, but we're in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 today. Y'all be familiar with this text, Luke 10, 25. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Now, when it says lawyer, uh, just think one who was educated in the Torah, not one who was educated in what we would consider uh, the, the law courts. Teacher, talking to Jesus, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the question. What must I do? To inherit eternal life. He said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Notice those components. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Isn't that the question, right? So the commandments are summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Who then is my neighbor? It's a very valid question. Um, because loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself seem to be uh, what is necessary to inherit eternal life. So Jesus tells him a story. He said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. So this man's on this road, and this road from Jerusalem to Jericho would have plenty of pockets for, uh, for folks to hide and basically assault and rob. Um, it's a, notoriously a rough road, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. There was a better way. This was just a shorter way, and it had a lot of places to hide. So this man fell into the hands of robbers. These robbers stripped him. They beat him. And the, when they went away, he was half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So we got a priest who saw the man and passed by on the other side. Why would a priest not want to touch a man who was nearly dead? Thank you, Steve. Because he could have potentially been unclean, which would have caused him to have to go through all these ceremonial washings that would have prevented him from... Uh, attending the whatever prayer service they would have had that day. The next one, we got a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Why would a Levite pass by on the other side? Same story. But a Samaritan, it's important that we note, we've talked about this a lot in Acts, that 
this Jewish audience was already pretty um, reluctant about their acceptance of Samaritans. Samaritans being the half-breeds. We've talked a lot about this. Um, but this Samaritan, was, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him, the, the wounded man, on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Then Jesus says this, he says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Notice what the man doesn't say. He does not say, The Samaritan. What does he say? The one who showed him mercy. We could speculate as to why he couldn't say Samaritan, but you ever been so mad at somebody you couldn't even call them by their name? We couldn't even acknowledge that it was the Samaritan. He just says, the one who gave him mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now, the question was, who is my neighbor? My question to you guys is, who is our neighbor? In a globalized world, who is our neighbor? There are people dying every day of hunger, people dying every day of thirst, people dying every day of uh, freezing to death. Are they our neighbor? Who are we responsible for? Our church, as you know, has pledged to help folks with the money we have. So what I'm going to do when I get home is I'm going to go on Facebook and I'm going to say, I'm going to type in the search need. Because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use this device to find who in my you know, search area it needs help. And I'm going to send Cody a picture. Click uh, screenshot status. Um, this person needs help, Cody. Is that our neighbor? Are we responsible for the needs of the world? This is the big deal, right? Um, so Missy's statement was, those who we interact with, who we actually encounter in physical proximity, um, This question is important because we are attempting to take serious the command, love your neighbor as yourself. There is a phrase called compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is this phenomenon that takes place when the amount of need seems to far outweigh the solution. Have you ever experienced compassion fatigue? There's no way we can fix it all. That's right. This is the key to loving your neighbor as yourself. We, it's important to know, are not God. We, it is important to be reminded, are not omnipotent. That's all-powerful. We are not omniscient. That is all-knowing. And we are not omnipresent. That is, we don't have the ability to be everywhere at all times. Here's our issue. 
we have this thing that I call, and I'm borrowing this from the story of Prometheus, uh, which is a, who cares? The phrase is, no, y'all don't care. Y'all just want to get to the point, right? Um, the phrase is the fire of the gods, okay? So the fire of the gods is this, basically, uh, this power that can allow us the creative potential and capacity of the gods. We have a lot of those. We have a lot of those through technological mediums. We have a lot of those through money. So we can make ourselves larger than we are, knowing more than we should know, having more power than we should have through our technologies. The problem is this. People can't get helped outside of love. Oftentimes, we have mediated ourselves out of the existence that would allow us to love. Here's what I mean. There's this buffer. I may have... No, I don't have any. Uh, there's this buffer that you can use to mediate yourself out of an exchange of physical presence with someone. This medium is called a dollar. Okay? And so if someone needs help... What I can do is I can show up and say, how much do you need? How many of y'all have ate a dollar? Y'all ever ate one? They ain't good. All right. Y'all ever like, been just alone and just like rubbed a dollar over your shoulder? Oh, God. That feels so much better, right? Um, or like when you're cold, take a 20 when you're cold and just drape it over the top of your head. We know that the money doesn't supply the need, right? The need is something that is physical. And this is very important when we start talking about how to love our neighbor and when we start looking at the story of Jesus because Jesus loves in proximity. What Jesus did not do, he didn't go to the Mount of Olives and say, all right, boys, watch this. There goes leprosy. But you know who got healed of leprosy? The ones who came in physical proximity. He didn't say, there goes blindness. You know who got healed of blindness? The ones who came into physical proximity. What about the centurion, Cody? That wasn't, that was an exchange of proximity that healed this man's servant. What I'm trying to say to us and trying to make this very relevant to our world is we want to take seriously the command to love our neighbors ourselves, And we're going to talk about how to do that on an individual level. But as a church, it's important that we don't just see a need, throw money at it, and then just run away from it. Notice what happens here. This man is obviously headed somewhere, right? He's headed somewhere on this road, this Samaritan man. He put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him all night. Because then it says the next day, this man obviously has somewhere to go. The next day he goes to the, the innkeeper. He says, hey, I've got to go on. He's not able to go on. I'm going to pay for his stay when I get back. Just trust me. And obviously he did, right? But this man didn't just, he didn't move him in with him, right? Which is my strategy. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to let you all off the hook. Uh, he didn't just move him in, but he stayed the night. He wasn't planning on staying there. 
He had somewhere else to go. Totally disrupted the agenda so that he could be present as a neighbor. My first question is, what is the alternative to loving our neighbor as ourself? What is our other option? Yeah, do like the Levite did. Um, say, no, I have to preserve myself. I, I, this may cost me access to my identity for a week, which is what he was concerned about. What else? What is the alternative to loving my neighbor as myself? Here's, here's the way it works in the United States. Um, basically, post-World War II, this is how we've designed it. I don't love my neighbor as myself, sure. I'll move into a neighborhood where people are like me, they think like me, they got the same job as me, and sure, I'll love them. And I will have it where when I pull in my, my I get specific and people think I'm picking on them. I probably am, so just get mad at me afterwards. But, so I pull in to this driveway and I hit this button and then the garage door goes up and I go in and as soon as I get in I hit the button and it's like this private cave I sit in then I go in here and like I don't even have a front porch anymore like we got a back porch with a um with a with fences around it and all so that we don't have any interactions right and then I got this machine this metal box with uh, rubber wheels that takes me all over the place and I can pass somebody but there's not I don't really have a a, an exchange of proximity with them because they're sort of a metal box too. Like when I see them, I think BMW or I think Toyota or I think Chevrolet. I don't think Charles or Richard. Um, and only from time to time with the little kid pop up in the back seat waving, and I'm like, oh God, that's a person. That's not a car. Why am I ranting like this? Because what has happened is we've, we keep mediating ourselves out of existence. Thus, disabling our ability to love our neighbor. At the first of the year, I prayed a prayer. I said, Lord, help me join myself to the poor in Bowden. The next day, I go to the smoking pig. And I'm getting ready to go in and beeline. This fella comes right to me. Straight to me. I thought, I know what this is about. And so Emily does too, because she knows I just prayed the prayer. He comes straight to me and says, hey, you got any work at your house? I'm like, how do you know where I live? Which is, you know, five houses down from right here. I said, yeah, I do. Um, he said, well, can I come do some work? I said, yeah. So we exchange phone numbers, exchange hands. But there's something that happens. There's this phenomenon that happens when we're walking down a street, especially this doesn't happen often in, you know, our towns, but if you go to larger towns, there's this phenomenon that happens where we're walking and we see someone who is about to ask for money. You ever seen this person? They ain't asking for much, right? But what it feels like they're asking for is everything. And so what I do is, they're sitting right there. Here's what I do. Yeah, I mean... I guess we could go over there. Yeah, I act like I don't see them. That's what I'm doing. Um, 
And oftentimes, all they would have needed was an exchange where they were recognized and so was I. But that's what happens with the poor, is the poor will see us. And oftentimes we don't like being seen. And so we'd rather just, let me just avoid it. I don't want to make eye contact. I want to keep going because all these other people are in a hurry. They're not exchanging. I'm going to go sit down at this restaurant and that's going to be a very mechanical exchange. I will only say the name of the person waiting on me just to, to pacify the time, but I don't really know them. Or I can go to the grocery store after this. And they probably won't even be nobody checking me out there, right? Um, so I, I, I can get all of my needs met, and I don't even have to have this really neighborly exchange. The other day, I had a phone call, and I had some time. I had a phone call, and it was from a number I didn't recognize. I answered it, and she said, hey, do you have time for a survey? Yeah, I do. She said, um... This is my first day on a job. I said, that's fine. I got time. We went through a lot of questions. I mean a bunch of them. And at the end of it, she said, this was so refreshing. Because I was engaging with her. I wasn't like trying to hang up on her. I was just like, I got time. What else am I going to do? I had time. I tell you that story because my buddy John used to live with me. John Connors, his name. John, I know you listen to these sermons. Good morning. Um, John worked at a call center in Silicaga. John lived with me we, uh, while he worked at this call center. John would come home some days just fired up about being alive. But it was days where he had, in his job, had exchanges with people that were neighborly. Now, he's calling, raising money for police and firemen. That's what John was doing. But there were most days John would come home beat down. Because you know what he got told all day? I ain't got time. Click. No. And John said, Cody, it ain't the no. It's just we don't get treated like people. And so at the end of the day, when you don't get treated like a person, you come home and you don't feel like a person. And I got to see the impact, that the way somebody just clicked on John. And he said, man, if they just tell me, hey, I'm at work or I got my kids, I say, hey, no problem. If you know John, you'd know. That's what he'd do. But he said, most times, I ain't got time for that click. And I saw the toll it took on his actual body. This man who was working at a call center. Why am I saying that? Because oftentimes we are presented with the opportunity to inherit eternal life on a daily basis and we miss it. Well, that just went from a big turn, Cody. <laughs> we were at a call center and now we're going to hell? No, I'm not saying we're going to hell. I'm saying the question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what I want you to know is he's not talking about what must I do to go to heaven when I die. That's not what he's asking. He's asking, what must I do to experience Zoe life? This life that the, Jews, the Jewish folks would have been, they would have been all yearning for this. They weren't like waiting on, let me get to heaven when I die and all things will be good. They had this way of being obedient to God that was Zoe rich, abundant life now. 
And it was love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is that? A good filter for us. And when we encounter those scenarios like Dale just talked about is, what is worth exchanging for eternal life? What do I have better to do than inherit eternal life? There is a concern I have, and I want, I want to uh, point this out for us as a church. Uh, oftentimes, Christian compassion is very akin to coercion. What I mean by that is, oftentimes the reason we will help is so that someone will change. Certainly, we want to help people change, right? However, if the only reason we would extend a hand is so that someone will change, we have to redefine what that motive is because it is not love. There was a man I spent a lot of my time with in Knoxville. His name's Ricky Meredith. A lot of my time. You've heard me talk about this man. Ricky taught me more about the goodness of God than any book I've read, any prayer time I've had. He taught me a lot. Somebody asked me. I forget who it was. Oh, it was Amanda, my buddy Amanda. She asked me the other day. She said, this was Wednesday night after we got done with a group. She said, but didn't y'all see Ricky change? And Johnny just laughed because Johnny was down Wednesday night. I said, no. He was stealing from us till the day he died. And then we preached his funeral like he was Mother Teresa. We did. Well, what's the purpose of that? Because loving our neighbor is all we were asked to do, not changing them. Love is both the means and the end. And like you all requested, a little Fyodor Dostoevsky. I get requests all the time for this stuff. I heard exactly the same thing a long time ago, to be sure, from a doctor, the elder remarked. He was then an old man and unquestionably intelligent. He spoke just as frankly as you, humorously, but with a sorrowful humor. I love mankind, he said, but I'm amazed at myself. The more I love mankind in general, the less I love people in particular, that is, individually as separate persons. In my dreams, I often went so far as to think passionately of serving mankind, and it may be would really have gone to the cross for people if it were somehow suddenly necessary, and yet I am incapable of living in the same room with anyone even for two days. This I know from experience. As soon as someone is there close to me, 
His personality oppresses my self-esteem and restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I can begin to hate even the best of men. One, because he takes too long eating his dinner. Another, because he has a cold and keeps blowing his nose. I become the enemy of people the moment they touch me, he said. On the other hand, it has always happened that the more I hate people individually, the more ardent becomes my love for humanity as a whole. That's a phenomenon that I have experienced. Um, and when I read it, I thought, thank God someone captured that. Because it is easy to say, people don't, the reason people don't go to church is because the church ain't known for loving people, we're just known for judging people. Yes, I comprise the church. Cody, he's one of the, the compositional elements of the church. Um, you are some of the compositional elements of the church. And the question is, if everyone acted like me, how would the church then be judged? I'll read you one more scripture that's just as bad as these other ones. 1 John chapter 3. And then we'll be done. I do got something good to say in just a second, so just bear with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, we know love by this. We know love by this. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? I'll end with this. It's a poem. Nathan's favorite when I do poems. He loves this. Here's the poem. Give as much mercy as you want. <laughs> <laughs>